Thanks very much. That was very flattering of you to say that. Uh, donuts are delicious. Uh, this is my first time talking in public, so you guys might have to give me like a little bit of room for error. Uh, definitely not a public speaker. <laughs> I'm a coffee maker and roaster and do donut maker, so yeah. Uh, my background in coffee is super different from Charlotte. I took a completely different path than she did. Uh, I've been working since I was 14 years old uh, in coffee. I used to take one of my days in high school a week uh, and go and work in a cafe because I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I'm turning 28 next week, so that's, that's 14 years, which it's kind of crazy to think about it, that it's been that long already. But yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I was really lucky to work at St Ali when Mark Dundon was uh, at the helm. Uh, he took me along to his various businesses like Seven Seeds, Brother Badan, um, De Clue as well. And yeah, I, I was really lucky to be a part of Melbourne in this really like important time when the community came together. I think being part of the community at that time, it was just wonderful to see how things happened uh, and you know the, the kind of culture that we created there. Uh, yeah, I went to Market Lane from there and then after that, I got offered, I did a little bit of time as a pastry chef. That was weird and hard. Uh, don't recommend being a chef. It's, uh, it's hard work, way, way harder than being a barista for sure. Um, but yeah, after that, I was headhunted to join the team in Paris at Coutume. Uh, and being in Paris right at that time in 2000, early 2012 was so fascinating because it was just like things were boiling. It was bubbling. It was about to happen. It was unreal to see it. Um, I'm so proud of like all the guys that have opened brilliant businesses there. It's wonderful to see. Uh, and yeah, after that, I was actually headhunted to a pretty amazing position in Norway. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about my story. Uh, I really wish that I could get up on stage and talk about like sexy stuff, like grind distribution and water chemistry. Um, and yeah, it's not sexy, but it's really important. And I think it's been the elephant in the room for at least my entire career. Um, so yeah, when Jen got in touch with me to stand up on stage, I just knew that there was like just one thing that I really needed to talk about. Uh, so in 2013, Alex Bernson published uh, a survey on Sprudge about mental and physical health in the specialty coffee industry. I'd filled out the survey and I was really curious about the results because I'd had some issues with my health during my time. Uh, and yeah, I just really kind of wanted to know if my experience was unique, just because you feel very alone because nobody ever talks about it. So to me, when, the publish, when, when they published the findings, the, the most distressing thing was that 62% of people had experienced some kind of issue with their emotional stability when they're at work. That's a massive amount of people. Uh, not only was there like really real physical consequences of our job, like you know RSI or uh, I don't know all of the physical stuff that happens. Uh, it's pretty pretty crap. But your mind. If you don't have your mind, you have nothing. Um, so yeah, when I saw that result, I was like, holy shit, that's terrible. So yeah, 
Global research already had kind of told us that one in four people are going to, like the average Joe, is going to experience mental health issues in their lifetime. Um, but what the Sprudge survey found, and also what my secondary survey that I undertook found, is that the numbers for people that work in our industry are more than double. And, you know, that's, that's just, that's inhumane. It's not livable, it's not possible to keep on going this way. So yeah, um, 552 people uh, responded to my survey and I'm so grateful to everyone that took the time to fill it out. Um, I just have to make a quick disclaimer about the survey that I did. Um, I'm definitely not a scientist and I'm not a statistician. Um, as I said, I just work in coffee. Uh, I'm really aware that the way that I worded it might obtain some bias. Uh, I'm also aware that maybe because of the, the nature and the topic that people who experience issues are probably more likely to fill it out. But in regards to that, I don't think that stuff really matters because of all of the people that responded to me, I, ha I had like countless emails and comments and people getting in touch and like Twitter notifications and people on Instagram saying like, thank you for finally talking about this. Thank you because I've struggled for so long and I don't know how to bring it up. Um, so yeah, finally giving people a voice, I feel like it's really, really worth it. So I think the most interesting data point that I found was that we're a pretty young industry. Not young in age, but young in the amount of time that people have been working inside of it. Um, I, I think that it's really interesting to see this number because I wonder whether this is because people are getting burnt out and they're deciding to move on to different fields or whether, you know, it's really good that we've got a lot of new people joining the industry. Like it could be a positive or a negative thing. I think it might be a combination of both. Uh, in my experience, in regards to the burnout thing, I feel like baristas are often treated a little bit like an expendable commodity. You know, there's always someone who is younger than you, more able to work longer hours and have a more flexible schedule. You know, they're willing, being willing to get paid less, maybe because they have less training. Um, I feel like this is a problem, especially, sorry, it's kind of falling down, especially uh, in notable businesses. I feel like if people have a reputation, they can kind of get away with quite a lot. Um, so I just kind of want to like split the room up to kind of really demonstrate what these numbers mean. I think the biggest issue is anxiety. So that's like this many people in the room. That's a massive amount of people. Uh, and you know, anxiety can affect everything in your life, especially when you're working in service. Um, hang on, yeah. I mean, I personally have had some issues with when I'm behind the bar, uh, you know, experiencing really high levels of anxiety when uh, you know, dealing with a customer. Sometimes a customer is really awful to you and you have to pretend like it's okay. And that's gonna fuck up the rest of your day or at least it does for me because I take everything quite personally. Um, so yeah, like you look at the numbers of depression and insomnia and mood variability and the scary thing is the persistently high stress. Pretty much everybody who got in touch with me said that persistently like constant states of stress you know, because you're just constantly running, especially if you work in like a, a busy and successful bar. Um, you know, you hit the floor running and sometimes you don't even get a break. Uh, 
uh, and then you know you're slamming out drinks until the end of your shift and then you're emotionally and physically drained and that's the end of your day and then you have to wake up in the morning and do it again. Sometimes you have to do it for five, six, seven days a week. Some day, sometimes you're doing it for like months on end. I think the longest stint I ever did was 65 days in a row. Uh, and that's not livable. It's really not livable. Uh, so yeah, there was a, sorry, can I? Ugh. Uh, so yeah, there was actually a study that came out that kind of did the rounds on social media not that long ago uh, where they found that scientists say it's more stressful to be a waiter or a server than it is to be a neurosurgeon. Uh, and I think that's completely fascinating because, you know, we don't have any safety nets in our industry in regards to health and stress. At least in, as for neurosurgeons, you know, they have this kind of structure to kind of make their lives a little bit more livable. Uh, they found that it was the lack of respect uh, from employers and also from customers and it was also the lack of control so shift work uh, long hours no breaks all of that so like the long hours demanding tasks it just leads to really negative health outcomes apparently somebody working as a waiter is 33% more likely to have a stroke <laughs> like that's awful it's awful um, so yeah, the other finding that I thought was really interesting and kind of scary uh, is that 43% of people, that's like almost 50% of people, are not getting sick leave. And you know what happens when you don't pay someone sick leave? They come to work sick. Um, you know, because if someone is going to lose money and they won't be able to pay their rent, they're going to come to work. And you know, it has consequences, like really deep consequences. Uh, you know, you're going to make, potentially make your other staff sick. Uh, you're not going to give great service. Uh, the person who is ill is probably going to stay sick for longer. Like, it's just, it goes on and on. Um, and I think that this is really inter interesting, especially because of, you know, the cornerstone of specialty coffee, I feel, is kind of like making farmers' lives better. You know, we want to pay a premium to get better coffee to serve to our customers and we really like we're all really proud about the people whose coffee we buy and we want to make sure they have a higher quality of life the thing is like what about the people who are standing behind your bar making coffee for you what about their quality of life so yeah so yeah they found out like i found out from the survey that 42 percent of people had gone to work seriously ill seriously ill not just like a little cold or something like that but like proper proper sick and I mean, I just think that that's completely unacceptable. I, I mean, I'm starting my own business now and it's gonna be in our mission statement that we wanna have like this nurturing, inclusive environment where you can heal, you can take a day off and you know, get better again because we want you to be at your best. So yeah, I think that this is because we have no safety nets uh, it's creating environments that make people unwell. And yeah, this is why I'm here today. So this is about to get really heavy, so apologies <laughs> beforehand. Um, on paper, people would say that I've had like a pretty ideal career progression. I've been really lucky. Um, you know, after getting headhunted to Norway to this like really prestigious business, uh, I had a great time there. Like I had a lot of success in that place. I was promoted very quickly, paid really well and looked after. Um, 
but yeah, why am I standing here talking about mental health? Like, I'm not a scientist, I'm not qualified to talk about it. Um, because last year, uh, I spent from March to December looking at the ceiling from my bed. Anytime I stepped into my work, I suffered super significant panic attacks. I was completely incapacitated by mental illness. Sorry, just give me time to pull myself together. So yeah, it was a combination of a few things. I was experiencing some bullying from my colleagues. I also had some issues with the lack of sunlight in Norway. So seasonal affective disorder is like a real thing. Uh, I'm quite an emotional and sensitive person to begin with, and I think that's why I give good service. The hardest thing was actually the lack of support from my employer. Um, when I shared my diagnosis with him, uh, he told me that it wasn't real, that I wasn't, I wasn't actually sick, I was just pretending. Uh, and that kind of all culminated in me attempting suicide two times. So this picture was taken from a hospital bed. I was about to get married in two weeks and my future husband was laying beside me. And it was so lonely and it was so alienating. So I took my phone and I took this picture because I said, one day I'm gonna look back at this and say, this is how far I've come. You know, I was here, but now I'm here. And I feel like right now, standing in front of you guys, I think I think I finally reached that moment. There's, uh, there's parts of my body and my mind that are probably never going to be the same after that, but I think I've come out like definitely a better person. And I'm not standing here today to kind of ask for your sympathy. This isn't a pity party. I just want to talk about it in honesty and in strength and just to hope that, you know, you or a colleague or a friend or somebody doesn't have to go through what I went through. I was actually really lucky because the Norwegian healthcare system is unreal. They have pretty much free healthcare. Um, and you know, I was, I was given the support network that I needed and it was really great. They also have uh, like a social system where you get paid your entire salary. Like not, not just part of it, like your entire salary. So I could focus on healing rather than focus on whether, whether or not I was gonna be able to pay my rent. Um, but yeah, so everything was actually pointing in a pretty good direction for me to get healthy again. Uh, but the hardest thing for me was actually getting abandoned by my support network. You know, I was, I was in a new country. I'd never been to Norway before. My support network was my, was my co-workers and, and my workplace. And I was completely abandoned by them. It was really hard. Um, so yeah, when I, the reason why I'm standing here is because when I shared my, my diagnosis with my employer, like some people don't say that that's such a great idea, but I, I just thought that by sharing my diagnosis, then I could get some empathy and some understanding. But when I did that, and I finally decided to leave the business and move on to start my own business, uh, my employer shared my diagnosis with all of my colleagues at a staff meeting um, against my wishes. And you know, they, they just took away my dignity when they did that because there is a stigma. We're all aware that there's a stigma and it should be my choice to share that with people. So yeah, 
being here in strength and sharing with everybody, I just want to talk openly about it and break the stigma, because it's a real thing. Those numbers say it's, it's a really real thing. So let me scroll a little bit. So yeah, since 2013 when we started talking about it, I was kind of hoping that things would get better. But I think they've actually been getting worse. Uh, Peter Giuliano recently tweeted about the importance of empathy as a barista. And I grew up in my mum's hairdressing salon, talking to customers all day long. I kinda, it's kind of at the core of my being uh, to focus on the service and the connection. Like I can make drinks technically and very well, but for me it's about connecting with that person that's across the bar. And I was really, really glad that he started to talk about this. Um, so yeah, it's like we're admitting that empathy behind the bar is a really important thing. But being an empathetic person, it means that you're actually quite open uh, to struggling with like emotional overload at work and you know getting worn out by it. So yeah, it's about we need to find a way as an industry to develop these skills without abusing them. So yeah, can we work behind the bar for our entire career? Because right now I'm on my 14th year and I'm tired. I am tired. So yeah, if we're not creating career paths for the newer generation of baristas, uh, what are we going to do? James Hoffman discussed this in 2012 at the Nordic Barista Cup in Copenhagen. Uh, and he admitted that we're failing really dismally as an industry to support people into career progression. I think actually since that talk, there's been some super great initiatives, like Barista Camp is awesome. The certifications from SEAA and SCAE are amazing. Uh, also, the work that CQI is doing is awesome. But I feel like even with all of these things in place, we're still hiring out of connection and nepotism. And I think that it's not so much just the training and the skill set, but that there's an actual physical lack of higher positions to progress to. Um, so yeah, now we're finally recognising that empathy is a really important skill. Uh, how do we look after ourselves? Um, I really would like to, but I don't think it's possible for there to be like a one-size-fits-all solution to this. And I especially don't think that it's going to come from me on this stage in Antwerp. Um, but yeah, I think the first step is realising that we have a problem. And I think the second step is recognising that we need to create, like re using that recognition to create more sustainable and supportive businesses. So yeah, as a business owner, what are a couple of things that you could do? Uh, so if you want professionals, you have to treat people like professionals. Uh, so paying sick leave is like a no-brainer. I think 100% of people, regardless of the size of their team, it needs to be in your budget. It, it is just as much of part of your budget as buying cups to pour espresso into. Uh, yeah, you gotta treat people. Treat people well and they'll like work better. Um, Colin recently had a bit of a chat about this at one of the previous tantrums. Uh, I thought it was like a really, really creative solution uh, that came up with some great ways to improve the lives of his employees. He just bumped the price of his drinks up. 
You know, what that did was effectively culled a few of those customers who were really annoyed about the extra 50p. But in essence, it reduced the workload of the baristas, but you know, the business was still making the same profit. So the barista's day was better. They weren't so busy, they weren't running so much, uh, and the business was still successful. It's a great idea. Um, I know this isn't possible for the size of some companies that exist, um, but human resources or having someone on your team that is not management to go and speak to about issues that you might be dealing with is really important. Because as much as you like to think that people can just come to work and be professional, I think being a barista is about bringing a lot of yourself and your personality to work. Uh, and you know, it means that it's gonna need some management and need some dealing with. And sometimes you don't wanna go and talk to your boss. Uh, yeah, Google actually recently published another study. They it took three years for them to find out this information about what makes really great teams work. Uh, and the most amazing thing, it didn't matter about the makeup of the teams. It didn't matter like what gender they were, what age they were, none of that stuff mattered. The one thing that mattered was this thing called psychological safety. So when people felt that they could speak their minds freely without being persecuted, the teams performed better. So if we can create this kind of inclusive, nurturing environment for people, you get better results out of them and they'll have better lives outside of work as well. Uh, and I think the last thing, and for me, the most important thing, this is more important than anything else. I feel like sometimes in the specialty industry, we promote talented people uh, into management because we wanna, we wanna like, give them something for the hard work they've been doing. But the problem is, is not everyone is a very good manager. Um, you know, they might be a really talented barista, but potentially, you know, organizational skills and people skills is not, there, is not the best thing that they do. So, if, you know, if you're gonna do that, if that is your business model, I think that it's really important to send that person to get training. Or, I don't know, just do something to make sure that they're a better manager because, you know, there's a massive amount of consequences from someone who is not very great with managing, like high staff turnover, long absences because of illness and lost profit. It's a really big thing. So yeah, great managers should know how to nurture people because they understand that great business is kind of on the success of their employees. So yeah, this is, I tried to find a way to like present all of the things that people said to me in a way that made sense. And in the end, it was just like too much information. There was so many people that reached out to say like, this is a great topic, thank you for bringing it up. But yeah, this is just a, work, a word cloud of all of the comments. I'm sorry that I couldn't make it like more fancy. Um, I just wanted to share the hashtag, BGE Real Talk. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to share this is because not only are we gonna put the results of the survey online, but also because if we start sharing stories, uh, that gives us solidarity. And in solidarity, we can actually make change. Thank you. He said, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Still not working. Is it working? No. Yeah, no.
Is that is that on? Yes, that's yeah, on. Yeah, cool. That was huge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, where do we start? Um, at first, is that a bad management style saying who's your, <laughs> who's your leader? Because Colin does that to me all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very mean. The leader is good. Um, I think uh, when I heard about your that you were going to talk about this, um, my first reaction, I said this to you before, was that, oh, yeah, someone's done that. Bef- no, d- yeah, no, someone's definitely done that. No, nobody's done it. And I, could, I just couldn't believe it. And I think, um, like, it's something I was saying earlier, my wife works in mental health, Steve has worked in mental health, and it's something that I think we probably talk about quite a lot. And it affects every industry. It's not that there's any industry that isn't affected by it. It affects everybody. At some stage in your life, it's going to be a big issue for you or your family, your friends. Um, and I just think it's incredibly brave for you to come up here and to do something like that because there is such a huge stigma attached to it. Yeah, there is a massive stigma. And, you know, I feel like I kind of didn't get a choice with, um, you know, my diagnosis being revealed because I'm, I'm sure people have been talking about it. People love to talk. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things, the, the way that I actually thought about this in regards to my talk was about a year ago in Denmark, there was a woman who had her like some nude photos leaked um, by her ex-boyfriend. And instead of, uh, you know, being destroyed by that for the rest of her life, she actually had some really tasteful nude portraits taken and she published them along with an article talking about, you know, I'm making a choice to be public with this. It was, it was first not my choice. Someone went and did this without, without my consent. Um, but, you know, she proudly put this thing out into the world and was proud about what she was doing. So I kind of approached this like that. It's like I wanted to be on stage and I wanted to say, hey, I had a problem. I don't have a problem anymore, and that's awesome. Um, but I understand that some people might still be dealing with a problem. And maybe if I stand up and say something, people might go, oh, shit, cool, she has, I can talk about it. This is, this is like, I, yeah, I feel like every single person that I've spoken to about this has been like, oh, oh, oh can I share my story with you? I want to talk about it. So, yeah, I, I just think this is the most important thing I've ever done. Like, of all the 14 years up until this point, I think this is the most important thing. Yeah. So, I think... I'm lucky that I know many of the business owners in the specialty coffee industry. You know, we kind of, we have a secret club that we're allowed to go to, <laughs> baristas can't. And um, No, but I mean, it's something we, we talk about, uh, kind of bar talk, it always ends up talking about people who work for you and the team that you have. And I was interested with the restaurant link as well of, you know, waiting staff and, and having the same problems. And I've seen similar stats on kitchen staff and yeah. all of those things. Do you think the sizes of the businesses in the specialty industry and the sizes in the restaurant industry, they tend to be small, they tend to not have masses of resources, um, has an impact? Because I don't think any employer particularly goes out of the way to say, I'd like to make your day shit. No. Apart from Colin. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like nobody kind of goes, I'm going to make your day shit and I'm going to make you work really hard and I'm going to make you exhausted and I'm going to get you to the point where you can't cope anymore. So, I mean, do you think that size thing is one of the major factors you know what like the results from the google survey i think speak a lot about that um because i've worked in teams of all different sizes and i've done jobs of all different intensities as well um 
and I think it's it's so much like this is actually they some, something that they wrote about when they published the survey was that people can actually handle really high loads of work and stress, but only if they feel supported by their management or their bosses or whatever. It like they that was a correlation that they found. Like the more safe and secure the person felt. Uh, the less they struggled with the workload that they had. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's so much about the size of the business. Uh, I just think it's about the support that you get and the belief that you have in what you're doing. Because, I mean, in my last job, I was pulling some, like, crazy hours and working quite a lot. Um, but I never really struggled with it until I lost that support. Yeah. I think... I think um we were talking at the front here before you came on while you were all drinking coffee, and uh, you said it in the presentation about people get promoted. Um, they may not necessarily have the ideal skills to be managers. Yeah. And I think there's also an element of, like, I never planned to be a business owner. I probably am, you know, I'm learning as I go. I, nobody kind of gave me a book on this is how to manage people and things. I think that's also another aspect is that a lot of the coffee owners, they were good at coffee. They yeah. weren't necessarily good at looking after a team of people yeah. and being able to manage and to run a business. And I think that's also a big a big block. Mm. Um, and, and there isn't necessarily the resources there for business owners and for managers to actually understand mental health more. Mm. I mean, it's something you've addressed at 3FE. Yeah, like I think, uh, well, it's something that I, I quite... Like I say, my wife is an occupa occupational therapist, so I kind of have somebody at the end of the phone that I can ring and kind of go, what do I do? Like, because... I think, and if anyone runs a business here, we probably have the same experience, is that, like, things have... I've had staff work at 3FE in the past, and uh, they've ended up in, in, um, in bad circumstances. And I mightn't have known it at the time, or I might have had an inkling, and I didn't, I didn't treat the situation well. Mm. Like, I, I didn't treat it like... Like, I should have... Is that working? Yeah. yeah. I didn't treat it like I should have uh, treated it, and I regret that, and I've tried to improve it. But there was there's a panic there. You, like you're expected to know the answer, and you don't know the answer. And I think as business owners, we need to be able to um, to share information and to and to to be there for each other because it's a lonely place running a business, and, and be able to say, look, what what do you do in the situation? Because if you called up and you said, hey, Colin, I, I broke my leg, I can't come to work, I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So if somebody calls up and says, look, I'm just I'm just not feeling it today, I can't come to work. The appropriate answer in our industry is. Suck Come to work or you're fired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the really interesting thing with my situation is that simultaneously, while I was struggling with this last year, I had a colleague who was doing a similar job to me go out with RSI in both of her wrists. Uh, and the difference of the treatment between she and I was like night and day. And it was so disheartening for me to watch that. Because I was like, but it's just the same. It's just the same. Just if it's it's her wrist, it's my brain. Like, it's, it's the same. Um, and, you know, I think one of the most important things is, like, people, people fuck up. People make mistakes. Uh, and it's just kind of about owning the mistake a little bit. Like, and, and also, like, not, not saying that someone's version of reality is not true. Like, there's this thing with like bull bullying called gaslighting where you kind of disagree with someone's experience of reality and it's it's just like as an owner if you realize that you've made a mistake don't try and cover it up especially with someone with a mental health problem because you know they know that you're telling a lie but then because you're the owner everyone's going to listen to what you're saying and your version of reality is like real yeah. so it's yeah just about owning it and and being human and 
just I think I think it's the age-old thing of like okay if I was in that situation how would I want to be treated um, I think it just comes down to that um. I want to bring you back to the survey. You said that those uh, results are going to be published online. Yeah. First of all, where can people find them? Uh, it's on the Barista Guild of Europe website. It's a very good website. You should definitely it check is. it out. We wholeheartedly endorse it. Um, but also, um, I'm guessing from over nearly 600 responses Six, you had? 552, yeah. Oh, nearly 600. That's, <laughs> that's how good I am at maths. Yeah. Um, were there anything, was there anything that surprised you, anything that shocked you, anything that was kind of made you sad, made you laugh? Um, you know, I find this to be so funny because I'm, I'm, so, I'm such a sensitive sausage. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I'm stealing that. <laughs> um, you know, I read every single one of the responses. Like, I read every single one of the 552 um, and I said, I, I said on my Facebook at one point, like, why are people being so mean? Because it was anonymous. Uh, people didn't have to say who they were to fill it out. And some people were really awful. And I kind of said something on my Facebook, like, why are people being so awful to me right now? And Matt Perger actually said, like, this is literally what happens when you put your voice out there. Just don't worry about it. It happens. People troll you. That's it. Um, but honestly, it was like one of the last three and as I was kind of trying to find a way to make the words and the quotes work, uh, I found this, this response and they filled out every single field with farts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting response. I deleted it because I didn't want it to like skew the numbers of the results. Um, but I'm so curious as to who that was. Like, who, who did that? <laughs> it, it'd be interesting that word search there with just big yeah. word fart. farts. Because yeah. it would have been a lot. Yeah. There was a lot of farts in the thing. So, yeah. yeah. I think uh, one other point that you made during the presentation was about, um, uh, about like the cost of like looking after people, paying them good wages, sick pay, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think there's always a conflict with business owners about like, well, I need to control costs because, you know, like businesses, like a couple of percentage skewed and all, everything falls apart. But like somebody said something to me a few years back that really stuck at me and it was that, that the only thing that's more expensive than staff wages is staff turnover. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is that, I mean, it's been proven scientifically that if someone is giving really great service behind the bar and making your customers feel good, uh, the drinks don't have to be as high a quality. Uh, so it's like, if you're nurturing your staff to be better, you will have a busier, like a busier business. You'll have higher profits. It's like, it just pays in return. Yeah. Um, like it takes six months for somebody to get up to speed. Yeah. And if they burn out, leave, you get somebody else in. It takes six months to get that person back to the same level. Mm. And in that six months, you've lost the opportunity to improve. And, that, and that's the thing, it's, it's something that I've really struggled with um, because, you know, I've, I've worked in a lot of places and I've seen it happen that, you know, someone is maybe not working out for the business and the boss will or the manager will, like, reduce their tasks or reduce their hours in the hopes that they'll quit because no one can afford to fire anyone in this industry. Uh, and it's, yeah, I think there's just other ways that we can approach it than that. Like, we've got to stop treating baristas like they're expendable because... These people, like baristas, we are the front of this industry. We are the per the people that is gonna that makes specialty coffee what it is. Like the farmers are doing their thing, the roasters are doing their thing, and these are all important steps of the process. But the baristas are the face. Mm -hmm. It's so important. 
we should ask questions. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be questions out there. So would anybody like to ask Taylor a question? Oh, fantastic. Hands straight up. Oh, we've lights on the audience now. Wow. Uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, I wondered, did you see any uh, regional differences or some outliers where you saw that from... I actually wish that I had, but I didn't get age or region. I know that the Sprudge article, because it, Sprudge is like a US-based uh, kind of publication, that they had a lot more like America-heavy responses. And I guess just because Colin shared the survey... Uh, and I was sharing it, that I'm guessing it was like Australia, Europe, and maybe a little bit of America. Um, but yeah, I wish that I'd put more details into it than that. Um, I'm sorry that I didn't. It's uh, for my next survey in the future. More questions coming up the stairs again. Oh, this is good exercise. Um, have you ever seen any effective customer service training in action to help people to not not only understand how the customer is going to feel at the end of an interaction, but how the person is going to feel at the end of the interaction. Because I don't think I ever have. and I have not seen it either, to be honest. And uh, it's always kind of, as I said in the talk, it's, it's really been at the core of my beliefs. Uh, like I'm super glad that we're talking about service now, that it's kind of coming out and, and being discussed. Um, and that's the thing, I feel like people who succeed in customer service are not necessarily trained to do it, just that, that they have this like inherent empathy that allows them to be better customers, but uh, like better at customer service. Um, but the one thing that I noticed, um, because when I started at my last job, there was some pretty negative uh, reviews on Yelp about our customer service. There was like some people were like, ooh, coffee's great, but service is terrible like there's a lot of like angry dudes behind the bar here uh, <laughs> um, and you know because of my beliefs about service I was like holy shit this is an opportunity to change it and make it better um, and so I just I kind of like started off slow you know did my like Australian friendly thing Norwegians don't really like to talk very much when you serve them <laughs> um, so I would say like hey how are you and they would be like what does that mean <laughs> Um, and yeah, just like slowly, slowly like worked on it. And one of the things that happened when I left was that one of my colleagues uh, said to me, you know, you realize that you changed our entire service style here. Like we are a different place than, than what you arrived at. Uh, and it's true, it's, I, th I think it's less about training and more about inspiring people through your behavior. Like people would, like my colleagues would see the way that customers reacted to my service style and they wanted the same. So they kind of would, you could hear them sometimes, they drop in little sentences that I used or like emulate the body language as well. Um, yeah, it was just fascinating to see it kind of happen over time and I'm really proud of it. But I, I wish there was some kind of training that you could do because that would be awesome. Yeah. That is a very good question. Um, and for me, uh, actually, you know what? My, I'm, I'm working part-time at uh, this, this place called Java, which is amazing. It's pronounced Java. <laughs> In Norway, it's pronounced Java. Um, 
But yeah, so I just started with this team and I was kind of coming off the back of this pretty negative workplace experience. So that was a bit rough and I was a bit scared, like a little bit hesitant to go to this place. Um, and I had, I had this experience where I had this like, in, he'd be in his middle 60s guy come in and be pretty overtly sexual with me and it made me really uncomfortable because I'm like trying to give someone good service and you know feeling it and then he's like gives me a 200 krona tip and he's like this is for you because you're so beautiful and I was like ew dude um and I said this to my boss I was like hey I had this experience it made me feel uncomfortable I want to be good at my job I want to give good service but where do you draw the line and he said Taylor you know what if you feel uncomfortable tell them to leave uh, he said, if you, if you feel really uncomfortable, go out the back and lock the door and wait until they leave. If you feel super uncomfortable, call the police. It's about like understanding that people have, have emotional reactions and, and giving them that comfort. So I think it really stems from what you're... Because like, if you're empathetic, you want to give the best. But if your boss gives you that, that onus of saying, like, okay, if you feel uncomfortable, just leave the bar. That's, that's being psychologically safe at work. Yeah. Colin's very bad at blowing trumpet, so I'm going to blow the trumpet for him. Um, that sounds very wrong. We um, <laughs> 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 that out, Jen. <laughs> um, but like Colin's been doing some training with the staff, uh, working bar in 3FE with, with Yvonne, his wife, on just having some awareness of mental health issues and some insight into, you know, being empathetic does make you more susceptible to those things and ways of dealing with it and coping with it. Um, and, and I think it's a fantastic thing that, that like the team just responded so positively to yeah, it. Yeah. We had a, we, we had a class, we, it was a wellness class, it was quite broad. Um, so she was going to call it, um, uh, oh, there's a, a buzzword uh, at the moment, is oh, completely gone out of my head. But um, mindfulness, but that she was like, it's a bit more than mindfulness now, it's just about your general wellness. And so. I kind of put the feelers out there and hopefully get four or five people. We ended up having to organize a few classes because everybody was so interested in it. And I wasn't allowed to go. Uh, but anyway, all the other staff went. And I think that's important is that they went and they kind of, I, they would talk about these things. And if there's any issues, they would come back to me. And in the next few weeks, people were coming back to me. And it's amazing how many things would stress out people that actually were completely unnecessary. So one member of staff came and said, look, I get really stressed out about my emails on the weekend and I'm trying to switch off and my emails are coming. I'm like, you are under no obligation to answer emails at the weekend. Like, that's not your job. You answer emails Monday morning. And they didn't know that yeah. and thought I was expecting to do it. I was like, I, when did I tell you to do that? And they're like, well, you didn't tell me not to do it. I'm like, okay, right. Because people want to give their best. Yeah, yeah. They want to give 100% to you because they want to be promoted and not have to be baristas all the mm. time. <laughs> or even if you're working a bar, like a thing... I learned over the years, it took me a long time to learn it, but if you, the faster you work when it's really busy, the more stressed you look. And the more stressed you look, the more shit people will give you. Now you think about it, if you walk into a bar and there's a queue at the door and the guy's like, hey, how's it going? Really busy today, it's gonna be a bit of a wait, could be 10 minutes. People are like, okay, that's fine. But you walk in, they're like, eh, okay, what can I get you? And then you're like, they're faffing about looking for pieces of paper and then the order comes down and it's late, it's a wrong drink. The people get really angry in that environment because they almost feel that the more stressed you are, the weaker you are. And there's something kind of very, I don't know, deep inside people that kind of goes, well, I can attack this person now. But if they're calm and explain the situation, say, we're really busy, we're gonna try and help you, uh, then it, it, it empowers the people more. And that, it takes a long time to learn that, but if you're taught it, it doesn't take so much. Yeah, and I think that's where good management comes into it because if you have that kind of centre force, that person who 
brings the mood down and like calms everybody and keeps keeps control of the situation without losing it. I mean, that's that's good management and that keeps the rest of the team like in a stress-free way. Yeah.